My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I know it's incredibly easy to blame today's decline on the Labor Department's non-farm payroll number, saying it's too hot and it'll cause Jay Powell and company, a.k.a. the Fed, to spike the economy even harder. But that would be wrong. Actually, dead wrong. It's not the reason the Dow dropped 349 points, as we lost 1.63%, and certainly not the reason why the Nasdaq plunged 2.47%. The employer report didn't create any new angst. In fact, it's pretty clear that both job growth and inflation are peaking or peaked, which is exactly what we need to do to wipe out inflation. We're on our way there. No, today's decline was all about earnings. If anything, that is actually more disconcerting to someone like me. Take Apple, which, you know, I, I always say you should own, not trade. Katie Huberty from Morgan Stanley, the most important Apple analyst, penned a report today saying that Apple could miss the quarter because of weakness in services. It's funny, yesterday I told the investing club that Apple's the stock in the charitable trust that I am most worried about. Good call. Not one I wanted to make, though. In tech land, there is some justifiable weakness, real justifiable weakness. And the downgrades can send chills down your spine, like the call to sell giant chipmaker Micron this morning, confirming what we said about a lack of business in China, along with a blur from Elon Musk where he talks about a super bad economy and some big layoffs at Tesla. Suboptimal. So how about next week? Will it be continuation? I'm afraid it actually might be. First, in the interest of shameless self-promotion, I want to tell you we're going back to San Francisco, resuming our pilgrimage. I like to do it once a quarter to tech land. Well, it's not just tech companies, but you know I like it out there because we have to take the temperature of Silicon Valley and because that's where so many interesting companies are. I think next week's going to start off rocky because even though Apple has its terrific worldwide developers conference, my gut says the rest of the Apple analysts are going to have to catch up to Katie Uberty's new, newfound cautious outlook. I'm predicting a host of price target cuts, estimate cuts, and maybe even downgrades. China's real bad for Apple. Europe's weak, too, thanks to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I mean, this shouldn't be a shocker. What matters, though, is you can't asterisk this one. Like I said last night, you can asterisk a lot because it's too big. But you can start buying Apple once the medicine is taken, because sooner or later, China will beat COVID and come back online. Hey, Starbucks opened 600 stores there in Shanghai. That makes me feel better. You need to be an Apple for that. But if you don't own it yet, you might as well wait for the estimate cuts and the downgrades before you get in. Most people aren't nimble enough to sell Apple now and then buy it back when the oil clear is sounded. To me, it is worth riding out, even though I know I'm going to take a lot of pain, knowing that a better time will come ultimately, even if you have to play through this moment to get there. Hey, look, be my guest if you can sidestep it, though. If you think you can pull it off, God love you. Tuesday, Eli Lilly has a meeting to discuss his pipeline and address the value of its diabetes-slash-weight-loss drug called terzepatide. I think it's a miracle drug which is why we have a big position, Lily, for the Chapel Trust. But you got to be careful, though. See, Lily's presenting the data this weekend, so it might be uh, too late to take action in the stock. You better wait for uh, a pullback. So, in other words, if Lily goes up into this, remember, the, we already heard good news there. So you're not going to be surprised, and what's going to happen is your buying is going to be met with sellers who are saying, I'm selling the news. Next, the most unnerving part of the Fed-mandated slowdown is that the food stocks haven't been a great place to hide. They usually are. But their costs are way up. Think about it. the food that's it's in it, the can, the plastic, whatever. And uh, they can't do much more to raise prices without starting to really turn off people. And that's why it'll be a good test of the market's mood when one of the strongest J.M. Smucker reports 
company's energized, has put up some very good numbers of late, but it doesn't matter. So you could have said the same thing about Hormel, and it's been clocked on its ugly earnings. And by the way, it took the whole group down, Smucker included. Take a look at the chart. It's almost like it looks like Hormel. I wonder if we can get a reversal when the excellent food company reports. I don't care for the group. But look, if we see a reversal in Smucker, that tells you all is not lost for the packaged food sector. It also probably make me like General Mills more. Everyone's so upset about gasoline prices. But if you really want to see the impact, you got to listen to the Cracker Barrel call. Because these guys always tell it to you straight, and they are right on the highway. If they indicate that the consumer's cutting back on spending and not, say, getting the apple pie a la mode any longer. By the way, you know, give you a slice of cheese, make a mental note of that. Uh, then, you know, we should be worried. As lowsome as higher energy prices are, we do need to see some demand destruction if we're going to slay the monster that is inflation. Can you imagine rooting for all these negative things? I, it gets me down, but we got to soldier through. Hey, you want more about the impact of gasoline? Let's see what happens when Thor Industries reports on Wednesday. Thor makes those giant trailers you see on the road, motorhomes, whole shooting match, including Airstream. These things use a lot of gasoline. Again, if you're on inflation death watch, this conference call is a must because the company's very well run. So it won't be their fault if the numbers are weak. Campbell's suits had a tough time of it simply because there hasn't been any catalyst. Actually, there hasn't been any catalyst to any of the food stocks except for Hershey. And that's only because cocoa is such a rare commodity that it's actually still cheap. That said, I mean, I don't understand why it's so cheap, but it is cheap. That said, you can do a lot worse than getting a more than 3% dividend in a stock that's up 5% for the year. I like Campbell's Tubes management. I bet the stock can work its way higher because management's taking the tough action to beat the numbers. And they do have, by the way, a pretty good panoply of products. The most beloved chain these days is Five Below, and I think it won't disappoint. It's right up there with the dollar stores, which have been proven winners in a slowdown. More on that later. Five Below's got a good concept, good management, good stock. Thursday, AMD has an analyst meeting. This will be the first time the redoubtable CEO, Lisa Su, can tell us about how our new chip company, because it also has made a couple acquisitions, is doing. I want to hear about the synergies from the recent Xilinx acquisition. Huge position for the Chapel Trust, which I talked about in yesterday's conference call uh, with club members. And remember, people hate tech right now. This thing can go back to 93, 95 in a heartbeat. But you need to want to, you probably want to buy it if it does. We've got Signet Jewelers reporting Thursday morning. I suspect the string of strong earnings is going to continue. Stock sells at just five times earnings. And that means that the market has spoken, telling us that the company's stock isn't worth owning because the earnings estimates will be, uh, can't be trusted. That's what happens when you see that shrink in the multiple. Five it means that something's worried. People are worried. Now, I actually disagree. I think that Signet's good, but I think you have to be patient. I don't know how many great numbers CEO Gina Drosos has to put up before people trust her but I think she'll deliver a great print again. How about these uh, companies that become, they've become pandemic plays? Remember those? We don't talk about them anymore, right? DocuSign, they reported for close Thursday. See what they tell us. I think Stitch Fix can be regarded as a COVID stock too, and I bet their business at DocuSign is good and okay at Stitch Fix, but it doesn't matter. They're running in place. They're going nowhere. Really painful. Hey, we know that high-end retailers are worried, as we found out from Gary Freeman last night on his RH call. Gary's really, really just, he's perturbed, thinks there's going to be a slowdown. He's cutting numbers. He said his revenue's going to be minus one, minus three. Why don't we listen to what the good people at the similarly high-end Vail Resorts tell us on Thursday night? They're usually very upbeat. Have they changed their tune? That'd be worth knowing about. Next, this inflation watch must be boring to you by now. I don't care. I get that. But this is one of those times where until inflation is whipped and crushed, there'll be more rocky days like today. So how can we not focus on it? But we get the consumer price index on Friday. I can only use the closely, the cliche closely watched to describe it. Be mindful. Right now, this data really does matter. Oh, and here's an oddity. On Friday, we get the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. You know what we need to hear? Gloom. 
because grooming is less spending, which, again, pleases Jay Powell and company, although he's not a downer guy, but he knows he's got to get things rolling on the deflation front. The bottom line, I know it's a total drag to hope for negativity, but that's what we need right now to kill inflation. I bet we'll find that confidence is falling rapidly. And that's exactly what the Fed doctor ordered to get to the scenario from an inflationary one to one of falling prices. So needed to preserve your purchasing power and your portfolio. David in Florida. David. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah, what's up, man? Well, I know how much you absolutely like stocks that make a lot of money. Question is, based on their trend of earnings reports, does Procter & Gamble make that threshold? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And I've got to tell you something. This company's not getting respect right now at 145 with that dividend aristocrat. And I think prices could be falling in some of the commodities that they buy. I think this is a good one. Chapel Charles buying it. Tried to buy some more uh, the other day. We had talked about it. I'm looking for a 142, 143 entry point for even more stock. Al in Connecticut. Al. Booyah, Jim. Oh, man. Thanks you come to play. Call, man. What's going on? Um, I, uh, well, Regeneron's acquisition of the rights of Liceo did not, was not well received by the market and is now bumping up against the lower end of support. Do you agree with CEOs? Look, I talked to Len Schleifer. I I talked with Len yesterday. You know, I've known Len since he was their first guest on the show. Stock was at five. Take a look at his analysis, 630. I think Len was justified. He bought it from Santa Fe, paid a billion dollars for it. They obviously know something. George Yankopoulos, who is the the guy who really is the chief scientist, Yankopoulos is so amazing that if he thinks that's worth a buy, I think it's worth a buy. George is money. Gary in Maryland. Gary. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I watch the show every day, and I really like it. It's really good. Thank you. Uh, uh, Jim, uh, this stock I would find, Caesars Enterprises, they, their high was 135 a year ago. Now they went down to 42, effective eight of 50. I like to know when you're on to be in the show. I keep this buy They don't make so any I'm money. Good. They don't make any money, so they're not on my list. I do think that, uh, look, I, I got stung. The Chapel Trust owns win. We did a bad job on it. I owned up to it yesterday at Comm School. You should go listen to it because it really is me donning the hair suit. But I don't want to be in that group. By the way, Vici Properties, which is connected with them, stocks up big after hours because out of the S&P along with Keurig, Dr. Pepper, and On Semi. Both On Semi and Keurig have been two stocks we've liked very much here. I consider myself a pretty positive person, but we do need a little negativity to kill inflation. And I bet next week we'll find that the confidence is dwindling. And unfortunately, that's exactly what the Fed doctor ordered. They got to do it. Oh, man, tonight, in the face of a volatile market, one of the most important things you can do for your portfolio is to be diversified. So that's why we're playing MI Diversified. Then some retail earnings last week were actually pretty good. I'm going to cover the ones that I think deserve a little extra attention because the stocks have gotten cheap. And ArcBest is on a mission to solve a struggling supply chain. I'm going to learn more about their plan with the company CEO. Hey, we made a lot of money with XBO Logistics. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. After another wild week on the tape, where we saw most of yesterday's games erased during today's session, it is time to open the phone lines to the voices of 
Great America. Now, many of you may be wondering how we uh, navigate all this volatility. And if now is a good time to reassess your portfolio, which, you know, I think it is. That's why we keep high grading for the charitable trust. And it's why tonight we're playing Am I Diversified? So if you call me, tell me your top five holdings. I'll tell you if your portfolio is diversified enough. Hey, maybe I'd make some changes. Brenda in North Carolina, you are our first caller. And what do you got for me? Booyah, Jim. Booyah. This is Brenda from Lincoln, North Carolina. I'm so glad to be on your show today. My top five holdings are Duke Energy, Enbridge, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, and AT&T. Please tell me if I'm diversified. Thank you so much. All right, let, let's, let's get right to this because this is very complicated. See, because I happen to think this most of the uh, the purists would disagree with me that Duke is different enough from Enbridge. Enbridge has got his uh, natural gas pipe and Duke is a pure utility. So I'm going to bless both of them. I like the yields here. I also see good yield from Procter & Gamble. Actually, this is a, whoa, this is one of these names that's been hit right here. I want people to buy Procter. It's very important. J&J splitting into two companies. Terrific. ATT, not my favorite, but she wants yield, 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 and yield. And in this particular moment, we need that. I'm going to pronounce this group, I'm going to pronounce this diversified just because I think that Johnson Johnson and Procter & Gamble are not the same and Enbridge and Duke are not the same. Sometimes that's how you have to think. Are they the same? And they're not. How about we go to Scott? I like that portfolio a lot, by the way. Let's go to Scott in Minnesota. Scott. Hey, Kramer, Scott in Minnesota, okay. first time, long time, been following you since the Cudlow and Kramer days. Holy cow, so I was I a child. I suspect I'm like millions out there who, due to the pandemic, found themselves in an unexpected, sudden early retirement and in need of income. Okay. So with that in mind, my top five holdings are AbbVie, Chevron, Dow, Prudential, and Verizon. So, Jim, is it possible to be diversified within a predominantly dividend portfolio? Thanks. Does he ever ask the right question? And this isn't easy. Okay, first of all, I'll tell you why. Because Verizon's not doing as well as I'd like, but it's got good yield. Chevron's good yield stock moved up a lot, though, so the yield isn't as great. Prudential, I don't think, is doing as well as I would like. Dow, we spoke to Jim Fitterling yesterday. We know business is good. And AbbVie is, an, is owned by my travel trust. So here's what I'm going to say. Drug, oil, telco, insurance, chemical, works as diversification. It's just they're not great stocks. Um, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to swap out Prudential, and we're going to put in Wells Fargo, okay, because Wells' ability to raise its dividend substantially. Otherwise, I'm going to bless it. But it is so hard to get great companies that have good yield here, unless you're doing oil and gas, and then it's easy. Maureen in New Hampshire. Maureen! Hi, Jim. It's Maureen. Thanks so much for taking my call. Of course. Um, I've got five stocks I'd like to talk about. Amazon, worried about logistics. Baidu, NVIDIA, Roku, an ASML. Am I diversified? Man, this is really hard. Okay, so Roku, we don't even like Roku, so I don't even care if it's diversified or not. It's just bad. Um, but I do like the area of technology and, and, uh, and communications. I would like to put um, Disney in there. I think Disney's having a, is way too low. The franchise is great. I don't know for the trust. Baidu, we do not allow any stocks from China. They're just too, they're heinous. Uh, they, they, what, what the government's doing over there and controlling the, the companies, I want nothing to do with. But why not put Alphabet in? 
Okay, that's the same thing, except for it's better. Uh, NVIDIA is terrific. We know that. ASML trades with NVIDIA. I mean, that's a problem. Even though ASML is a semiconductor capital equipment company, they trade together. So now we have to swap out ASML, and we're going to put in Procter & Gamble. In other words, this portfolio needs a lot of help. And I got to do it. So we're going to do Procter there. We keep NVIDIA because NVIDIA is a terrific company. We're going to go with Google here. We're going to keep Amazon because even though I, and I'm not doing it for the 20 for one split. OK, and then we want to put in Disney. We have entertainment. And then I know that's major surgery, but sometimes you have to just get in do a little anesthesia. Twelve hour operation finished in what? Three minutes. That's how I work. Let's go to Rod in Georgia, please. Rod. Hey, Jim, this is Rod from Georgia. Okay. I hope you're doing well. Today's been a wonderful day. It's uh, been sunny. I've been playing with my tomato plants and putting out some new ones and planting some more. Um, I have a few stocks I need to ask you about. One of them is Sigma Lithium, S-G-M-L. Um, it is a, uh, I've uh, had it for a little while. I've sold uh, half when it doubled. I sold half again when it doubled again. Then I sold 20% when it went up 30 more percent. And now I still have a 90% uh, profit on the shares that I still hold. Um, my other stocks are MS, KO, HRL, and UAN. Uh, am I diversified and am I making intelligent choices? Thank you so much. Man. First, I mean, like the guys tomato plants must be fabulous, right, in Georgia? Second, it's really sunny down there. I mean, what a disposition. I am not in that situation. I am very worried about my plants because we've had much too much rain. Okay, let's just, I had to put that out there. Um, this is a very complicated portfolio. Why is it complicated? Because some of these companies, uh, we, have to, we have to act a little bit different on. And I'll tell you why. Sigma Lithium, I would normally say, no real place for it. Uh, because, you know, I haven't liked that, that those, I have not liked those stocks this week because the Goldman piece came out over the weekend saying they're going to peak. And I agree with the Goldman piece. However, you heard he's playing with the house's money. Why would I ever tell anyone to sell something where it's the house's money because of all the money's made from it? So we're going to keep it, even though it's not one of my favorites, because I'm not going to make anyone sell a stock that where it's the house's money. Coca-Cola is terrific. I think James is doing a great job. I mean, take a look at that stock. It's, it's, it's got a nice run. Now, here's another problem. I like Hormel, but Coca-Cola and Hormel are – Hormel, by the way, did not have a great quarter, all right? It, it, it just didn't, and it kind of was – it was sad because I really liked that company. But we're going to have to go Hormel, and we're going to go in with Disney because I've been liking the Disney. And I think at 108, as I said in, uh, at my conference call for uh, the investing club – I said Disney's the cheapest stock in the portfolio. Morgan Stanley is just amazing. It's got 3.3% yield. Financial, it's great. CVR Partners, no. Man, this is tough. All right, I'm going to bless it. I'm going to bless it. So we've got a portfolio that has, uh, if we take the Hormel out, we are diversified enough. Now, but I I just want to talk, no, the music. But if you ever have a play with the house's money, you are never going to hear me say, say sell it, even if I don't like it. Because house's money is the holy grail of investing. Their money's packed. Coming up, these retailers buck the trend. Can they say au revoir to consumer ennui? Find out next. On a day where Wall Street is once again tearing its proverbial hair out, but the possibility of, yes, a Fed-mandated recession. I want to remind you of where we were just a couple of weeks ago 
We just got in a slew of hideous retail earnings, including that one-two punch of forecast cuts from Walmart and Target. Oh, God, what a terrible couple of days that was. It crushed both their stocks and therefore everything else in the sector because they're so big and powerful. But within a couple of days, we heard from a bunch of other retailers, and their results were more of a mixed bag, meaning there were some good well, there are plenty of disappointments, of course. We got some genuine earnings beats. Then last week, the parade of retail earnings continued, and we got some still more positive quarters, something the market was much more willing to acknowledge because Wall Street's attitude had become a lot less negative. So what is it that sets apart the retailers that can thrive in this environment? Why weren't they all wrecked by the same problems that dragged down Walmart and Target, rampant inflation, supply chain woes, and a sudden change in consumer behavior that left them with tons of unwanted inventory? Let's take them one by one in chronological order. Now, before I went on vacation, I told you to expect great things from AutoZone, ACO, the auto parts chain, which reported on Tuesday of last week. We got a massive car shortage in this country because the automakers can't get their hands on enough semiconductors, which forces people to hold on to their old, old cars for longer. That translates into more maintenance. In other words, more new business for AutoZone. Sure enough, these guys crush it with 2.6% same-tour sales growth. Doesn't sound that large. But remember, it's about what Wall Street was looking for, and they're only looking for less than half a percent. And that's despite being up against some really difficult comparisons. Their margins are doing just fine, and even better, AutoZone earned $29.03 per share, when the analysts really are expecting a little bit over 26 bucks. Although a lot of that's because of their enormous buyback. It's been one of the greatest buybacks on the, on the New York Stock Exchange. They repurchased $900 million worth of stock last quarter. They still got $2 billion left in the authorization. Stock caught fire in response. But even up here, AutoZone's cheap at just 18 times earnings. It's a great story. And why is it cheap? Because the earnings have been so consistent. You know, a lot of times when you see these buybacks, you say, oh, it's meaningless. You want to see. These guys have bought back, bought back, bought back, and it really has returned a great deal to shareholders. They also benefit, by the way, the fact that used cars are so expensive, so people just hold on to their own cars. Of course, AutoZone's in an enviable position. What about retail winners that had more challenging circumstances? Maybe the most surprising beat last week came from really one of my favorite stocks, Williams-Sonoma. That's the home goods retailer that's widely seen as a COVID stock. Uh, that's because people moved to new homes. Nevertheless, reported a remarkable set of numbers. They delivered 9.5% same-store sales growth, much higher than the 3% consensus, also posted a massive earnings beat. If there was anything negative here, it's just that Williams-Sonoma didn't raise their full-year forecast, but their guidance is mostly qualitative to begin with, and I would not have raised my forecast in this environment. People misread this company entirely. It was really good quarter. You might think this would be a tough time for Williams-Sonoma, but they've got great management. This team, led by CEO Laura Alper, who cares so much about her product, has consistently defied the odds to the point where they really deserve more credit than they get. Even after the stock's monster rebound, it sells for less than eight times earnings, 2.5% yield, because people don't believe they can continue to make the numbers. I think the risk is already baked in, and Williams-Sonoma remains a buy. Last week, I was at uh, Pottery Barn Outlet and Williams-Sonoma Outlet. We could not believe how fantastic the merchandise is. And I immediately contacted Laura and said, look, I can't believe this stuff is is cheap. Once again, what I keep coming back to when I think of Williams-Sonoma is amazing value. Amazing value because the stuff is so beautiful. How about the incredible comeback in the dollar stores? Not so beautiful, although I do like my Dollar Tree. When Walmart and Target blew up, both Dollar Tree and Dollar General saw their stocks collapse. If even the biggest retailers were done in by cost overruns, how the heck could these puny dollar stocks complete? Especially when they, yeah, they don't make that stuff here, you know. They, gotta shit, they get it from China. Yet when they reported last Thursday, except for the candy, uh, reported last Thursday, they both turned in excellent results. Dollar General actually raised its full-year sales forecast, and even though they left their earnings forecast unchanged, 
range. That's a huge contrast to the slash numbers from Target and Walmart, right? Dollar Tree did even better. 4.4% same-store sales growth, exactly double the consensus estimate. Company earning $2.37 per share. Wall Street was only looking for 2 bucks. Dollar Tree had 48% earnings growth for heaven's sake. I mean, that's unbelievable. This is not a company that's struggling, which is why they raised their full-year guidance for both the top and bottom line. And they benefited, by the way, just so you know, because they're finally starting to turn around because they have better management than they used to. Family Dollar. My Family Dollar, even though they've remade it, it's still not my favorite. My Dollar Tree is unbelievable. Candy Isles, it's, it's, it, it has cowtails. While both Dollar Tree and Dollar General rocketed higher last Thursday, the former up 22%, the latter up nearly 14%. Those moves were mostly just erasing the losses in the previous week because they sold off of the horrible Walmart and Target pin action. At this point, they're roughly flat versus where they were when I recommended them at the end of March. I like that. I want a hideous day. That's a group to look at. Hey, by the way, you know, before uh, Target and Walmart, Home Depot reported a great quarter. Nobody even cared. What the heck? Why do the dollar stores work here when even the big dogs are struggling? Because when people are worried about a slowing economy, they're, sp- they're allegedly trading down. We've seen some people say things aren't trading down, but allegedly trading down to the cheapest retailers. And you can't get cheaper than the dollar stores. Go to your dollar store. Take a look at it. You will not believe how nice, uh, for, for in particular, my Dollar Tree is. I have a new Dollar General next to me. I don't like as much as, Do- as Dollar Tree, but it, it's, it's still a very clean, very nice store with some really good prices. Then there's Macy's, which also turned into some terrific set of numbers. Now, I've been cautiously optimistic, as you know about this one, because I believe in their digital strategy, and I really believe in Jeff Gannett, who I think is just a dynamite CEO, but also because the stock has gotten insanely cheap. So going to the quarter set, it's like roughly four times earnings. That's crazy. When Macy's reported, though, they knocked it out of the park. 10.7% same-store sales growth. Huge numbers from Bloomies. I've been waiting for Bloomingdale's to start starting because it's such a great place to shop. People started shopping in person again. They realized that. They also had a big earnings beat, 26 cents on an 82-cent basis, although a big chunk of that did come from the company's $600 million worth of buybacks. But who cares? That's a return to capital. These were smart purchases. Buyback is also why Macy's could raise their full-year earnings forecast. In response, the stock... Finally got rewarded, uh, jumped nearly 20% last Thursday. But even after the rebound, it's only selling for five times their earnings. Uh, Macy's doing great. Nearly 11% same for sales growth, for heaven's sake. I think they're benefiting enormously from the reopening economy, but also because Jeff is such a good curator of product, particularly in Bloomies. Uh, by the way, I like Blue Mercury, too. People never talk about that. Next up is Kramer Charitable Trust, total fave. Costco, a stock I pounded the table on when it dropped 12.5% in response to the weakness of Walmart and Target. Sure enough, Costco delivered in line, a, well, they have better than expected numbers on, on every major line item, including same-store sales up 14.9%. The only problem I didn't like was that Rich Galanti, my favorite CFO, was visiting with a vacation with his family in Italy, so he had a stand-in, but it was still a dynamite call. Well, Costco doesn't give guidance, they do regularly update their monthly sales numbers, and just yesterday they posted some terrific numbers, not that anybody cared until like today, 15.5% same-store sales. How do they do that? Even excluding gasoline or currency fluctuations, total sales were up 11.8%. Of course, unlike the other retailers, Costco stock still commands a premium multiple that it deserves. But that, that's because they've got this fabulous membership business, not to mention having better control over the cost than everyone else. And don't need to train a lot of people because people don't leave. Why? Best benefits. I, everybody I've ever seen at my Costco, I've seen for years. Maybe Walmart and Target can't cope with inflation, but Costco's entire reason for being is to be able to cope with it. On top of the big winners, we've got a couple honorable mentions. Didn't quite beat the numbers, but we're going to go into them. Best Buy turned into better than a fear quarter, uh, even though the headline numbers were a little light. Stocks still managed to rally like crazy over the next few days. Lots of shorts in the name, and they didn't blow up. Management did a terrific job of telegraphing the current weakness. Doesn't hurt the Best Buy's got that amazing 4.4% yield, $1.5 billion buyback. 
I like the risk score here very much. And then finally, don't forget about Dick's Sporting Goods. While Dick's posted better than expected headline numbers, they also slashed their full-year forecast. Now, that caused the stock to initially look like it was going to be down 17% in pre-market trading. Yet it finished the day up 10%. Well, almost 10%. Why? Because the stock had already been crushed going into the quarter. Manager did a very good job of lowering expectations. They do a good job. The stores are very clean right now. Bottom line, no one ever made a dime from panicking. If you dumped any of these retail winners in response to Walmart and Target, you made a very big mistake. And you know what? As the market trends down here, every single one of these, every one is a buy. David in Ohio. David. Hey, Kramer. What's going on, my friend? I don't know, man. I got to see if my plants held up. And, you know, it's been so rainy. What's going on with you? Not too much, man. Living the dream. Hey, I've been um, buying Ali's Bargain Outlet for, I don't know, about a week since the Walmart Target calls, um, assuming they'd be able to benefit from the, uh, the their um, inventory debacle. Uh, but ever since the big lot calls last week, I'm kind of concerned about the similarities in the two product mixes. What do you think? Well, you know, that they report next week. And do you see the Ali's Army thing this morning when you got your Ali's Army th- uh, ticket? And it, it said, like, you know, inflation beaters. They just did not have anything that sounded interesting to me. You're making a bet with Ali's right now that six months from now they'll have better inventory. Because right now, I have to tell you, I don't think they have the right inventory. So you buy the foot. Let, let's see what they do for the quarter. I don't think it's going to be that good a quarter. It's going to reflect that they don't have the good inventory. And you got to admit, when you looked at Jolly's Army this morning, weren't you a little let down? I was. Dan in Michigan. Dan. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. First time, long time. First time, long time. All right. Hey, I got a question, I got a question about uh, Coles, KSS. Yes. And I started looking into it, and, uh, you know, the uh, dividend rate is attractive. Uh, I think the price is, is getting good. But now I'm reading, and I read today that the company is under bid to be bought out, and I'm hearing that the uh, board members are resigning there, and I got a lot of concerns. Is that a real, uh, I mean, is this legit, or should I? Dan, your, uh, concerns are val- your, your concerns are valid. I have to tell you, this uh, has been a bit of, a, of an amateur hour. Uh, do they have buyers? Do they not have buyers? Are they going to change? Are they not going to change? You know what? We got companies like Target that have been, are so bashed. How can we own a Coles when we got Target stock so low? And don't forget Home Depot. Let's stick with quality, not what looks like quality. How badly did I have to go? I, I, I had to undress myself in front of a whole club of thousands of people because I went with non-quality with American Eagle Outfitters. I don't like them. Anyway, no one ever made a dime panic, as I said. At this latest, be- uh, uh, better-than-expected retail earnings are a good lesson in why you should never get too carried away with the negativity or emotions. Look at these. Everyone, buyback. Laura Albert, great numbers from dollar stores. Jeff, you're not doing a great job. How can you not love what Costco's got? Best Buy, Coy Barry, she's doing so well. Uh, Dick's seasonal, seasonal, but right now is the right time. Uh, much more made money, including my uh, exclusive with Arc Best. With the market turning on many of the logistics stocks, could now be an opportunity to buy in the space. I'm seeing if Arc Best is the one with the seat. It, it could be a great one. New CEO. We have Matter on. Judy McReynolds. Then, can we stop talking about the canary in the coal mine? I'm so sick of that darn analogy. I'll reveal why the comparison drives me nuts. And the way calls, Rep Fire, tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. years and years, we have had a fabulous bull market in logistics as the rise of e-commerce made global supply chains increasingly complicated, causing retailer to retailer to outsource the stuff to third-party fulfillment outlets. Why not? What do they know about it? Then COVID hit and the logistics bull got to stampede all over the place. 
But over the last few months, the group is cool. Trucking rates have pulled back a bit. And in April, Amazon said they may have overbuilt their logistics infrastructure. So who else might have, too? At this point, though, we got to wonder if the logistics plays have gotten too cheap. This may be a weak moment for the stocks, but we're still talking about a powerful secular theme. Which brings me to ArcBest. That's an integrated logistics company that offers a full suite of shipping solutions to its clients. Here's a stock that has surged from the mid-20s just two years ago to above 120 in December, even as it's pulled back to 82 over the last five months. Oh, hey, we know a lot of stocks that have done. The thing is, when ArcBest reported in late April, they blew away the numbers, with management sounding very confident about the future. At these levels, the stock trades is just six times earnings. Maybe that's because Wall Street doesn't believe they can make the numbers. Either management is wrong or the market's wrong, so let's check in with Judy McReynolds, the chairman and CEO of ArcBest Corporation, to get a better sense of where his company's, her company is headed. Ms. McReynolds, welcome to Mad Money. Well, thank you, Jim. So happy to be here. Well, it's your first time on. Uh, you got a little bit of a complicated company because people know you as a trucker, but you're much more than that. So I'm going to give you the floor to explain to our viewers why your company is set up in a way that we've seen from time to time, logistics and uh, and trucking. We saw that, by the way, when we first started interviewing uh, Brad Jacobs. So you've got the floor. Go ahead. Yes, well, we we are we've had some great results over the last couple of years, but we've been on a journey for a number of years before that. And I'm really confident in our growth trajectory and our earnings power and our ability to successfully navigate whatever the market conditions may impact the supply chain. But uh, we are positioned to perform well through the cycles. Uh, we've diversified our service offerings, and we've done that um, in order to really uh, provide the solutions that our our customers are desiring. Uh, Many years ago, um, we did some market research, initial market research that told us that the customers that we were doing business with um, had so much more that they were spending their dollars on. And so in the last uh, 10 or 12 years, we've been on a journey to position the company with those solutions. And uh, we've done that and it's worked very well. And our results over the last uh, several quarters have shown that we've had uh, six straight quarters of double digit revenue growth and seven straight quarters of at least double digit uh, non-GAAP EPS growth. And so we're glad and pleased to be in a position to really serve our customers, particularly during these trying times. Okay, so now let's talk about why the stock market is not according you, what I would say is the price earnings multiple you deserve. There are people who believe, for instance, that Amazon overbuilt. There are people who believe that there is uh, no way that you can continue to do what your numbers are if the economy slows because of the Fed. Why should we think that we would want an arc, a logistics and trucking company if the Fed is so bent on getting inflation down and you put double-digit price increases through, making it so you can't do that anymore? Well, let's see. Um, There's a lot there, but uh, we, you know, are approaching our customers as an integrated uh, logistics company. And that's key in all of this because, you know, customers have told us they want us to provide more of the services that they need. And so sometimes uh, their need is greater during times that are uh, difficult for them, uh, where they have soft spots um, in their revenue growth they'll come to us and ask us, plan with me, help me. Um, and we position the company where we have those uh, analysts, those uh, experts that can work through that, 
um, and combine things in a way that creates efficiency for them. And so, you know, we're there for them. We have market uh, growth opportunity that's almost 500 billion and that's grown. But and within our customer base, 5 billion of, of opportunity just within our loyal customer base. Well, you, and I, so we I, feel, I, yeah, I, agree, I agree with you, but uh, I mentioned Brad Jacobs earlier. He felt that XPO logistics was not getting the credit that it deserved. He had a beautiful logistics uh-huh. business like yours uh, and he had a great trucking company and he decided, you know what? It's two companies. And he created a lot of, of shareholder wealth. I mean, what happens if your stock, your price earnings multiple doesn't go up and you can't produce the kind of returns you like? Would you ever think of doing that? Or do you think that the two be- are, are best under one roof? Well, here, here's the deal. I mean, we are very focused on what the customer need is and listening to them. Right. And they're telling right. us that when we sit down with them, our seamless and integrated approach is really where it's at for them. And we, uh, we want to uh, be in a position where we're having that right conversation. And we've had that uh, time and time again. You know, when I first took my role, um, 90 plus percent of what we did was LTL only. So we came at this from a different That's place right. and we've seen the evolution and we know the conversations are right. And we really feel great, uh, especially about um, our managed solutions, which really bring it all together. And we work through uh, those challenges with our customers. You're not worried about a slowdown. You're not worried about a slowdown right now. No, with the opportunity set that we have, I'm not. All right. Well, fair enough. I like that. You know what? It's about time someone said Someone just said, listen, our business is good enough, and I'm not worried. I want to thank Judy McReynolds. She's the chairman, president, and CEO of ArcBest. Go study this company. It may be incredibly cheap, okay? Really cheap. That money's back after the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's time for the Lightning Round. That's right, folks. We're going to just hit me and plan some. And then the Lightning Round's over. Are you ready? Ski, Danny. Time for the Lightning Round. Let's start with Danny in New York. Danny. Hey, Jim. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, my question is about Verizon. I like Verizon's 5% yield. I wish they had more growth but because I don't want to just live by yield alone. That's why I've been recommending the oils, not the telcos. Let's go to Jerry in California. Jerry. Hey, good afternoon, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Colin, in reference to Oxy. All right, Oxy is, look, it's done very well. I'm announced to me. I was not the right call on Oxy. I was right on the way down. It's come back because oil's come back so much. I would prefer to see you in Chevron which my Chapel Trust does. Let's go to Alex in California. Alex. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. How do you feel about Massimo? Well, I thought when the company came on, they acquitted themselves quite well. I happen to like the medical uh, uh, device companies. But you know what? Johnson Johnson's got one, and they're splitting into pharma and medical device and consumer product. And that's a safer stock in a market that that punishes companies that sell it more than 30 times earnings. Let's go to Al in California. Al. Hi, Jim. It's Al. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Al. How about you? Good. The Wall Street Journal today speaks of the uh, uh, to the the stock that I'm asking you about. Um, Taiwan Semiconductor was referred to in today's journal as 
uh, having technological leadership and strong pricing power, which is the same mode that you and Warren Buffett speak well, of. Well, yes and no. I don't think they have the pricing power people think they do. Uh, I do think that they do have the intellectual firepower. I do not want to own a semiconductor capital equipment stock this mor- uh, right now at this moment. And if I did, I would own uh, a Lamb Research and, because I think Tim Marks is doing a great job. Let's go to Raphael in Maryland. Raphael. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Hi, Raphael. How are you? By the way, my best friend in Jerusalem, his name was Kramer. How do you like that? <laughs> Could be related. I'm a C, maybe, Zakeda. What's up? Uh, um, the stock ICTT, I mean, in some point, it was like in three, four. Total spec. That's all that is, is a total spec. If you're willing to lose all the money that you put in, then I bless it. That's what I'm telling you. Let's go to Nick in New Jersey. Nick! Hey, Jim. It's Nick from Jersey. Pleasure to talk to you. First time caller. So Thank I'm you. calling about Philip Morris and finding out if that's a good long-term growth and in income stock. Now, uh, two things. One, it is a good long-term growth and in income stock. But two, you'll never hear me uh, recommend it because they, because I think cigarettes kill people. And I've got enough problems on my hands. I don't need to be pushing that stuff. And that is still one more. We got one more. I can't believe we got one more. Let's go to David in Florida. David. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I got a growth semi for the next decade, but no one's talking about it, even though it's in the S&P 500. What do you think about monolithic power systems? I know monolithic power for many, many years. Here's the problem with monolithic power, okay? It sells at 40 times earnings. And you know I'm not recommending stocks to be able to, unless they have a reasonable multiple, that I just can't go with it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is the old warning of the canary in the coal mine for the birds? Kramer chirps back at Chicken Little. Next. Please stop talking about the canaries in the coal mine. All day I hear that this or that piece of data is the canary in the coal mine. Like people think, ooh, what a cool analogy for a recession. And it drives me absolutely nuts. The underlying assumption here is that the Federal Reserve needs to cause a recession in order to stamp out inflation. But I've seen this process play out many times, and the economy doesn't always get wrecked. Everyone's concerned that this morning's employment report, for instance, was too strong. So the Fed will have to slam the brakes even harder than we expected, and we're going to go through the windshield. Then there are telltale numbers like semiconductor pricing, which has gotten soft, or basic weakness in chemicals. That could be a sure sign that things are about to get rough. Eh. And, of course, you have the triad triad of triage. I kind of like that. Jamie Hurricane Diamond. CEO of J.P. Morgan, Gary Friedman, CEO of RH, formerly Restoration Harbor, and Elon Musk, who needs no introduction. They all say negative things. Musk said that he has a super bad feeling about the economy, so bad that Tesla's already laying off 10% of the workforce. We're told, of course, that these are all canaries in the coal mine. But that's not how I see it, because I'm hearing something very different. Ever since November, Fed Chief Jay Powell has signaled the need to raise interest rates to deal with this very real, very non-transitory bout of inflation. He reiterates his view pretty much every time he speaks. He's made it clear that we could have multiple 50 basis point rate hikes at coming meetings if we need them. The thing is, Powell knows this kind of talk has a real chilling effect on business, and it's working. 
Remember when he mentioned that we had multiple rate hikes at the end of 2018 that we needed them then? And he slowed the economy and crashed the stock market. We didn't need that jawboning then, but Powell learned the power of his words. He had just started out in the job, and he is using that power now, and I salute him for it. Powell has also learned that you have to be data-dependent. And if the data says things are still too high, he's going to keep raising Fed funds rate. Again, that's what he needs to do. What people don't seem to understand is that if you look at the unemployment numbers today, I mean, really break them down. There are so many more jobs than there are people to fill them that Powell can tighten pretty aggressively without causing serious job losses. When we talk about the pain from rate hikes, unemployment is the real issue. But right now, we've got the worst labor shortage I can recall. He's got room to maneuver. I'm betting that everything we've seen from Powell so far is part of the efforts to slow down the economy just enough, just enough that inflation cools down without causing the bad layoffs that we should be worried about. Of course, it is tough to thread that needle. And so many people I read and listen to are betting against Powell. In most of the rate hike cycles I've seen, we've had big layoffs. But if Powell can slow down the economy enough for our supply chains to catch their breath, meaning there'll be enough truck drivers and less poor congestion, less of a housing shortage, thanks to higher mortgage rates, I think he's going to pull it off. Sure, the economy may come close to stalling out, but that doesn't mean the plane crashes. A near stall is necessary if we're going to have a soft landing. Or to put it another way, there's no bird dying of asphyxiation here. There are no soon-to-die coal miners. There's just the beginning of what, to me, looks like an orderly slowdown. And I think it's going to do just what we want, create a deflationary environment without mass joblessness. That's a fantastic combination. It's the best we can ask for with inflation raging and the Federal Reserve late to the party. Call me a believer. But sadly, call me the only believer I know except maybe Jay himself. Or at least I hope so. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I'm probably trying to find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday from San Francisco. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.